Our topic for the last four weeks has been, this is the fifth week, dealing with bitterness. And we know without a doubt it can be easy to become bitter in life when situations don't work out like we had hoped they would. Genesis 50, one verse tonight for our text, verse 20. Now, by the way, Joseph is speaking to his brothers here, just so you know the context of it. And Joseph says very plainly, But as for you, ye thought evil against me. But God, there's our words again, meant it unto good to bring to pass as it is this day to save much people alive. How many know that whenever we are able to gain at least a glimpse of God's perspective, it changes our perspective, doesn't it? And we've been dealing with a question we've been asking, when life hurts, where is God? When life hurts and life is difficult, where is God? If you've been saved for any length of time, you've probably learned some big theological words like omnipresent. And omnipresent means that God is in all places at all times. I try to start my day out every morning by reading from Psalm 139. And in Psalm 139, verse 7, the psalmist asks, Whither shall I go from thy spirit, or whither shall I flee from thy presence? What's the answer? Nowhere. God is truly omnipresent. So no matter, no matter who the person is, they can never run from God because God is not only everywhere present, He is ever present. He is ever present. In Jeremiah 23, verse 24, God asks a question. And hear what God asks. Can any hide himself in secret places that I shall not see him, saith the Lord? Do not I feel the he- fill the heaven and the earth, saith the Lord. So you, we have to understand a rhetorical question. God says, can you hide anywhere where I can't see you? What's the answer? No. I didn't have the verse in my notes tonight, but back to Psalm 139, David said darkness and the, uh, darkness and the day are disliked to him. It doesn't matter. Nothing can hide us from the presence of God. And so that being said, it's a biblical truth. We know it's true. Since God is always present, where is God when it hurts? Especially when life is difficult. The problem is, for all of us, whenever trouble comes... We have a tendency to rely upon our emotions. And these emotions will cause us to question whether or not God is really there. Because from our perspective, he doesn't appear to be at work during that difficult time of our life. 
And yet the Bible's clear. The Word of God is very clear that God is still at work even when it doesn't feel like He is. He is still at work. Romans 8.28, you know the verse. And we know, Paul says. Now, by the way, I don't mean to... I guess I do. I can't emphasize enough. I'm glad for what I know. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. When my emotions say, where is God? The Bible says right here. He's still on his throne. He's where he was the day they crucified his son. He's still in charge. And it's interesting since there's some things we know. And I want to say tonight, folks, allow what you know to trump your emotions. Allow what you know. And so those times of our lives, whenever God seems to be distant, we can trust, even during those difficult times, that God is there. We can trust that He loves us, and we can know that He has a purpose for our lives. And He is working everything out for our good and for His glory. We can know And what's also interesting, we can rest in God's promises from His Word. Now, by the way, if God didn't, didn't promise it, don't claim it. Amen. And there are a lot of foolish people out there. But if God made the promise in His Word, we can trust that promise because we know, as Paul realized, God's power is made perfect in our weakness. And we know that to be true. We've been kind of looking at the life of Joseph as a biblical example. We've covered a lot of ground from his life, but we're, our goal is not just to learn about Joseph. We know about Joseph. We know the coat of many colors and all the details of the story. We've been there enough. And we came to the point a few weeks ago uh, that he revealed himself to his brothers. But then in chapter 45, verse 8, he shared an essential truth. So now it was not you that sent me here, but God. I can't emphasize this enough. I've said it several times. Joseph came to a place in his life, and I don't know when it happened, but I believe he realized it had to be this way. It had to be this way. Was it the path Joseph would have chosen? Probably not. And how often does God bring us to a place to where he wants us to be, and yet we know it was not the path we would have chosen, but there comes a time we realize it had to be this way. How many know God makes no mistakes? God is good at what he does. So, as we look at the story of Joseph, and, and we read here in chapter 45, verse 8, 
There is absolutely no doubt that God had taken something meant for evil and brought something good from it. All things work together for what? For good. There is no doubt that Joseph's brothers had evil intentions. And so there's no doubt that God used these evil men with their evil intentions, and he used them to accomplish his perfect will. I want to tell you something, folks. God had a nation to save, and he was going to do it. And he did it. He did it. So we began a week or so ago, maybe two weeks ago, Looking at how, looking at how God, in fact, does involve Himself with evildoers. And don't take that the wrong way. He never condones their evil, but He takes what they meant for evil and turns it into good. Genesis 45, verse 5. Joseph says to his brothers, don't be grieved. Now therefore be not grieved, nor angry with yourselves, that you sold me hither, for God did send me before you to preserve life. I have a question. <laughs> Do you think Joseph understood? Sure he did. He saw the big picture. He realized that God sent him there. It was in the plan of God. So now remember, not only did God know what they did was evil, Joseph did too. He, he didn't deny that fact. So, when we ask, does God sometimes use evil to accomplish his plans? The answer is absolutely yes. He certainly does. I shared some very important principles a few weeks ago. A couple of things, five or six. Number one, we'll go through them real quick. There is a distinction between God controlling evil and creating evil. Amen. Number two. God is never the author of sin, but he can use sinful men to attain an objective. The third thing is, and this is very important, if God could not control evil, he wouldn't be God. He controls evil. The fourth thing, according to James chapter 1, verse 13, God cannot sin, he does not sin, and he does not ever perform evil. So don't blame God. The fifth thing, God can, and sometimes he does, use the sin already existing in our world to bring about his purpose. But also, when's the last time God called you and asked you for your advice? How many know that God chooses himself how to operate. He makes the choice himself. It's all up to him. And so last week we looked at exactly how God intervened in the evil of Joseph's brothers. First of all, he simply allowed them to reveal what was in their hearts. God didn't put it there. He didn't make them do it. It was already in their hearts. We preached this morning on the kingdom of this world, and Satan is the god of this world. And Satan, he allowed Satan 
to instigate his brothers to do evil. We also realize there comes a time when God will withdraw, I'm sorry, withdraw his restraining grace. Thank God for restraining grace. But he also used those evil brothers to bring about his own purposes. So knowing those principles, seeing how God used these evil brothers, knowing all of that, how does that help our faith? I'm glad you asked. How does it help our faith? I look back to my notes, and I think it was the first week on this particular part of dealing with bitterness. I mentioned that when we're dealing with this topic, when we ask, where is God in all of this? And, and by the way, unless I miss my guess, all of us have asked that question at least once in life. If you haven't, there'll come a day you will, okay? But when we ask that question, where is God in all of this? Many of us will go wrong at this point because of bad theology. Now, it amazes me how so many people in the church, I'm being careful here, can be so dumb about God. They have somehow formed a God in their mind that they want, and they've they've kind of molded and shaped him and put him in a box. And as long as God operates in those parameters, the ones they have set, everything is hunky-dory. But as soon as life falls apart, and all of a sudden, God is not a good God. But wait a minute, I thought God was good all the time, amen? And he is good all the time. And we have to understand that. And so, bad theology, is, is it, it, it impacts us in a negative way. And good theology is the answer to the deepest questions of life. And, and what, I'm, what am I talking about? When I think about good theology, when I speak of that, I'm speaking about understanding who God is. Understanding who God is. And my friend, the only way you can understand that is through His Word. It's through His Word. And that's why, as Peter said this morning in our Sunday school hour, now he wasn't here, but we read his word, <laughs> desire the sincere miracle of the word that you may grow thereby. And, and, and by the way, <coughs> the writer of Hebrews, <coughs> also in chapter 5, he says, hey, it's time now <coughs> to get off the milk of the word and get on the meat of the word. You've got to continue to grow in our walk and our knowledge of Jesus Christ. And we do it through the word of God. So it begins by understanding who God is. Now, will I ever understand everything there is to know about God? Not this side of heaven. But the Bible gives me enough to know about God. Understand who God is. He's, he's not a granddaddy in the sky. He's not your papa. He's your God. He is your God. But also we have to understand who we are. We have been created to glorify God in our, in, with our life. That's who we are. And we are not God. And that's why there's so many things in the scriptures we need to know. 
Because if you don't know them, life will disappoint you. And you lose hope. So we've got to understand God. That's good theology. Understand who we are. That's good theology. But also, we have to understand how God works in this world. I, I mentioned Habakkuk a week or two ago. And Habakkuk, I'm paraphrasing here, he said, Lord, I just can't believe you're not doing anything. And God says, Habakkuk, I'm going to tell you something you won't believe when I tell you. And God told me, because what Habakkuk said, I don't believe it. You know, you're going to use a worse nation to punish us. How many know God works how he chooses? It's not, our, it's not, not up to us. So we have to understand who God is, understand who we are, and understand how God works in this world. And when we do that, that will give us a framework to help better deal and respond to life's darkest moments. Good advice. It's also important to, to note that while God can, and he sometimes uses evil to accomplish his will, God is never responsible for the evil in this world. And we must not forget that. And I think it's important that we do not miss the truth behind the story of Joseph. And you hear me say it all the time. This is not Joseph's story. It is God's story. It's a story about God and how he operates in our world. And that's why good theology is so important. So that when life hurts, we won't run from God. We'll run to God. We will run to God. Now remember... We, are, we, we said it already. God does not create evil. He doesn't. But God does control evil. And we have to know, no matter what we are facing, God's got this. God knows. He is in control. What a God. So does that justify sin? No. Did it make what Joseph's brothers did to him okay? No. Absolutely not. But knowing this truth is going to bring good to our lives and it's going to bring great honor to go to God. So what do we need to know? First of all, you need to know, I need to know, God didn't allow these troubles by accident. Our troubles did not happen by accident. Now, if we focus on immediate causes we will end up in despair. We will end up in despair. Our lives will be filled with anger. Our lives will be overtaken with bitterness. And how many know that's what Satan wants to do to us? He wants us to focus on immediate causes. 
He wants our lives to be filled with anger. He wants our lives to be filled with despair. And he wants our lives to be filled with bitterness. Don't focus on the immediate causes. And unless unless I miss my guess, all of us have probably had people who have hurt us deeply. Sometimes your own family. The psalmist said we walked hand in hand to the house of God together. That happens sometimes. But as long as we focus on the people, whoever it is, the people who have deeply hurt us, we are doomed to be stuck in the swamp of bitterness. Yeah. And by the way, I don't want to be there. I don't want to be there. Now, this is so good. Joseph knew what they meant to do to him. He realized their intentions. But how many know that our perspective will change? When we see those who may be our enemies, and we see them as instruments in the hands of God. That's what Joseph did. They are used by God to shape and form us into the image of Jesus Christ. And so it was in the story of Joseph. And make no mistake about it. When Joseph's brothers put him in that, put him in that pit, when they sold him to those trade, those people who traded in human trafficking to those slave traders. Understand something, folks. Their purpose and God's purpose was completely different. Oh, they had a purpose, but so did God. So we have to know (coughs) God allowed that to happen. They knew their purpose. They knew their purpose to hurt Joseph. But I'm going to tell you something, folks. God's purpose is always higher and nobler. They're always better. And so it is with us. The Lord may use our enemies to humble us. He may use our enemies to break our pride. And he may at times use our enemies to cause us to cry out to him for mercy and help in the time of trouble. Now remember, what they intended and what God intended were two different things. Psalm 37, the first two verses. The psalmist said, fret not thyself because of evildoers. I did a study on that. I think I taught it on Wednesday night several years ago now. And it means simply don't get hot under the collar. You ever been hot under the collar? Huh? I got to tell you, I found that all it does is give you a red neck. Amen. So fret not thyself because of evildoers. Neither be thou envious against the workers of iniquity. For they shall soon be cut down like the grass. 
and wither as the green herb. Now remember, the day will come when evildoers will be brought low before the Lord. And my friend, you can count on that. Except they repent and come to Christ, they're going to answer for that. And those who misuse others for whatever reason will someday be called to account for it. Maybe not in this life, but certainly in the life to come. They will answer to God. But one thing you can write down, folks. In the end, the scales of justice will be balanced. God will have the final word. And in the end, if we don't focus on the immediate, in the end, we will be better. We will be improved. Our faith will be stronger. And our reliance on the things of this world will be less. We've learned, we will learn to rely on God. <laughs> and my prayer is, Lord, help me come to that point where I can say and mean it, the Lord is my portion. The Lord is my portion. So number one, didn't have my accident. Second of all, as a child of God, we can see good where others only see evil. Again, Genesis 45, verse 5. Joseph said, Now therefore be not grieved, nor angry with yourselves, that ye sold me hither. For God did send me before you to preserve life. Now we didn't touch much on this when we look at this, uh, this life of Joseph. But if you read the whole story behind the scenes when they're uh, been, you know, he'd been detained and all that. You know what they're saying? God's paying us back. We did evil and that's all we see, blah, blah, blah. And now payday's coming. That was their thought. Uh, when they went back and uh, had all their money in their sacks, oh my, that, that's a sign from God. He knows what we're doing. Knows, and he did know. There's no doubt about that. But all they could see was evil. But what's interesting as children of God, we ought to be able to see good when others only see evil. And I believe it's one of the secrets of Joseph's life. <laughs> Joseph came to a point in his life where he saw God everywhere. Isn't it true? Yeah. He saw God everywhere. Joseph had such a profound sense of God's presence that he finally understood. I don't know what had happened. He understood that every everything that happened in his life, every event in his life, must somehow be ascribed to the hand of God working behind the scenes. Joseph realized God was in it. And that's why he could say and mean it. It wasn't you who sent me here. It was God who sent me here. Now, by the way, I like his attitude. He knew God sent him there, but he wasn't mad at God. He realized that God had a greater purpose. Didn't happen by accident. He saw good. The same is true when he was seduced by Potiphar's wife. 
And she made false rape, rape accusation against him. He saw that the years he spent in prison. And he realized that everything he had gone through, all those lonely years away from his family, all of it related back to God's purposes for his life. All things work together for good. And I think we need to make sure we understand this point. I think Joseph meant to say more than just God was there when bad things happen. And that's true. But it doesn't comprehend the full sense of the words. Joseph is saying not only was God there, God was in charge. God was in control. Message, yes, God never lost control to begin with. He was in charge. Joseph means that everything that happened, every detail of his life, the good and the bad, All of it was part of God's ultimate plan for his life. He was sent to Egypt to save the lives of his own family. God had a purpose. And what gets me, he was sent to Egypt to save the lives of the very brothers who betrayed him. What a God. What a And so Joseph realized, hey, you know what? This wasn't an accident. Joseph saw the good in it. Joseph realized, hey, this was God's plan from the get-go. It was God's plan from the beginning. And that fact alone explains everything that happened to him. (laughs) And I look at Joseph's life. I see a man, he's not bitter. How could he not have been? Because he realized why everything happened to him. God was in control. And my friend, what a profound view of the sovereignty of God. What a profound view of the sovereignty of God. And like I said several times in this series, I think Joseph did come to a place in his life We could honestly say, I understand now, all of these things had to happen the way they did. I gotta ask you tonight, do you think it was an accident Joseph became second in command in Egypt? No, you know it wasn't. (laughs) Do you think it was an accident when he got sold into slavery? He got sold into Potiphar's house? A ranking official? No. None of that was an accident. God was in that. And for Joseph to say, I understand why it had to happen that way, my friend, that takes great faith. That takes great faith in God to say something like that and mean it. But I want you to know something, folks. You can only say that at the end of the ordeal. Think about it. Not in the process. 
but only at the end of the ordeal. And you look back and you know what? It had to be that way. It had to be that way. Looking back and seeing even the worst moments leading to something better. It wasn't in the accident. Joseph could see good where they could only see evil. And the third thing I learned, we have a reason to forgive those who hurt us. Yeah. We have a reason to forgive those who hurt us. Rick was telling me he was watching Clint Eastwood today. I reckon you were, right? Yeah. We've all watched fairy tales. And at least most of the fairy tales I've ever read or saw, how does it end? Happily ever after. How many know that's not what life's all about? It's not always happily ever after. Not every story has a happy ending. And we know that. Sometimes there is no reconciliation. And sometimes the mistreatment continues. Even when those things like that happen, it doesn't get better. If we believe in the sovereignty of God that He's in control, we have a reason to forgive those who have hurt us deeply, knowing that God is in control. Not always better, but God is still in control. So what does it mean to forgive? To forgive simply means we choose not to remember. Amen. How many know that God has forgotten all of our sins? Is God forgetful? You know he's not. He chose not to remember. To pardon means we clear the record. (laughs) We clear the record so that we no longer hold on to the hurts of the past. Forgive means we choose to forget. To pardon means we clear the record. We're no longer going to let it drag us down. And this is only possible when we come to see our enemies are in the hands of God. They are agents of the Lord sent by Him or allowed, if you will, by Him to come for reasons that we may never in this life fully understand. Now remember, God doesn't cause evil, but He controls it. And if this sounds impossible to forgive and to pardon, Genesis 41, verse 51. And Joseph called the name of the firstborn Manasseh. For God, he said, hath made me forget all my toil and all my father's house. 
Preacher, I can't do it. I understand, but God can. He can cause you to forget it. To forgive. You choose to forget. Oh, Joseph could remember the day. He remembered the events. But the hurt was gone. He wasn't going to allow it to drag him down. So we know it didn't happen by accident. Uh, and we know uh, there are good, there, we can see good when others see evil. We have a reason to forgive those who hurt us. But also we'll have a new admiration for God with them in all Anybody uh, like to put jigsaw puzzle together? I do, as long as you got four pieces. We've got a couple of old ones the kids have wore out through the years, the grandkids. Uh, and there's about five pieces at the most. Boy, I love them. I can do them if the kids help me. But somebody once said, life is like a giant jigsaw puzzle. And we are like children trying to put the puzzle together. And all we have is a handful of pieces. And we're trying to figure out the big picture at the same time. So no wonder we struggle trying to figure out what life is all about. And not only do we only have a few pieces, somebody threw the box away. We don't see the big picture. As the years come and go, we pick up more and more pieces of the puzzle. And we begin to gain a new appreciation for God's wisdom. Because nothing is ever wasted. Now, I, I really, I've tried to do a few jig, bigger jigsaw puzzles. And every once in a while I thought, this piece doesn't fit anywhere. Right? Have I mean, you tried it here, you tried it there. Somebody made a mistake. Well, you know they didn't. Somewhere it fits. Isn't life like that sometimes? Because with God, nothing is wasted. Every piece of the puzzle fits somewhere. And we've got to remember that. So how can we live in a world? How can we live in a world where tragedy is just around the corner? How can we live in a world where tragedy is never far away? I want to say tonight, the answer is simple, but not easy. It's not easy to put in practice. We can only live this way by faith. That's it. By faith. We have to choose to believe that God's at work. We have to choose to believe that somewhere, no matter what we might think, this peace fits in the midst of God's wisdom. 
and we choose to believe. And remember, it's a choice we make. We choose to believe that even when we see nothing at all that makes sense to us, God is in control. And by the way, faith like that, it's not based on how you feel. It's based on the Word of God. And the story of Joseph is a prime example. And that's why the story of Joseph is so important in our lives. The world says, show me and I'll believe. God says, believe and I'll show you. Amen. I mean, we say seeing is believing. God says believing is seeing. (laughs) And we will see God's hand once again when we truly believe he's there. Yeah. Wow. Jason, you made my notes too long. Well, let me let me let me kind of wrap it up here real quick. I want to tell you folks, forgiveness is costly. Never easy. Sometimes it appears to be impossible. But the only thing I know more costly than forgiveness is unforgiveness. Jesus told the story, I think in Matthew 18, about two debtors. One owed a debt to his boss he could never pay. In today's monetary, it would be millions of dollars. He goes and he begs mercy. His boss had mercy, forgave him of his debt. The one who was forgiven had someone he, uh, someone who owed him money, a small amount, a payable amount. And when he went to demand the money, couldn't get it immediately, he had him put in prison. And that's the end of the parable. Parable ends there in the next verse. Jesus says, so shall my father do to you if you refuse to forgive. So being unforgiving puts you in a prison. Bitterness, anger, and the list goes on. And that's why we must, must discover the truth of God's sovereignty. Good theology will rescue us in a moment when most of us would give up in despair and bitterness. Let's stand together. C.S. Lewis wrote these words. God whispers to us in our pleasures, speaks in our conscience, but he shouts in our pain. It is his megaphone to rouse a deep, a deaf world. Father, I thank you tonight for your precious word. 
I thank you we have biblical examples of how, God, you are in control of every situation. And I pray, Lord, for all those who are struggling tonight, maybe whatever difficulty it might be, and they're being abused or misused by someone they care about deeply. And I pray, Lord, that you'll give them victory tonight. Let them know that this is under your sovereign control. Help them, Lord, to gain your perspective. I pray especially for those who are lost tonight, Lord. I pray, Father, that some way and somehow they would come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior and know that God is good all the time. Father, we love you tonight. We we just praise you tonight. And we thank you for your goodness. In Jesus' name I pray. And all God's people said, Amen.